Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Mediocre. Got it. It's okay. It's an okay Sunday. No. It's good to be here today. Mark's the beginning of my third year as a pastor at Rockbridge, so I'm really excited. Y'all maybe not as much. No, I'm just... You may have noticed that our family ministry director wasn't here this morning uh, as I did the children's moment. Uh, Joy has led a team of 13 of our people to Guatemala. They're having a great time. They got to stay in a luxurious hotel, and then now they're sitting up in the mountains, and they haven't done any work yet, so, uh, but they will. They're going to do a lot of great work this week, and so make sure you be in prayer uh, and also the, with the deep prayer that maybe this would be a community that we can year after year, go back and, and serve and build some deep and lasting relationships uh, with the folks at Eagle's Nest. So please make sure that you're in prayer with our mission team this week. So we're continuing our sermon series on Rockbridge at the movies. Last week we talked about Black Panther and how in the movie it's very clear that violence and the myth of redemptive violence only leads to more death and destruction. That Killmonger, one of the, the main villains, you know, he's, he's just full of rage and violence and anger, and this violence leads to his own death and destruction. And we talked about how Jesus calls us to a better way to be nonviolent, but to be active in our world and actually take the suffering of the world of those around us on ourselves. Not ignore the suffering, but choose a different way than violence to solve it. Today we are talking about the unlikely guardians of the galaxy. Have, have most of y'all seen the movie? because I'm probably going to spoil it a little bit. And also, by the way, if you haven't seen Avengers, I'm definitely spoiling that movie next week. So make sure it's in the theaters. If you don't want it to be spoiled for you, make sure you go see it. And if you'd like to, I'll go with you, because I need to watch it anyway. So just let me know. But in the, the movie, The Guardians of the Galaxy, it is the most unlikely group of superheroes. You know, the Avengers, they're people we expect to be super, superheroes. Captain America, big, strong, and he's Captain America, right? I mean, he, he looks like a superhero. He's, he's super strong, super fast. You have Iron Man, brilliant billionaire scientist. Makes sense that he invents a, a suit of armor and becomes a superhero. You have Thor. I mean, he's literally a god, right? He's a Norse god with an awesome hammer and a great set of hair, right? He's just this beautiful <laughs> lock of hair. And you have the Hulk, who is a brilliant scientist when he needs to, he can turn into a giant green monster and destroy things. I mean, that's a great, those are great powers. You have Captain Marvel, who's, even though she's this powerful woman, right? One of the most powerful beings in all the universe, and she's awesome. The Guardians of the Galaxy are not those group of people. Let's see, you have a talking raccoon named Rocket. You have a tree that sort of talks. He says, I am Groot, over and over again. His name is, is Groot. You have Peter Quill, who's a human, and, and, you know, in the Guardians of the Galaxy, we realize that humans are kind of like at this backwater planet, right? And they're these minor people over here. They're not very important, who is a thief. And you have Gamora, who is an assassin trained, trained by her father, who is the big villain of all the movies. Just an unlikely group of people. And they come together to be heroes while in prison. They're an unlikely group of heroes. Let's watch a, a clip from the movie. I hope it works.
are a bunch of losers, right? I was like, yes. So this relates to our Bible story today of Jesus recruiting the disciples because he doesn't go out and he doesn't recruit the Avengers. He doesn't recruit the smartest, best-looking, most prepared group of people. He, cre- he recruits an ordinary bunch of guys and women to lead the church, to be the foundation that the church would be built on. And if Jesus can call ordinary people to be the foundation of everything, we wouldn't exist today without these disciples as a church. And if God can call them into ministry, then God can call you and I as well. Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 1, and then uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So, I don't know why I'm having such a difficult time opening my Bible. See, even I, I'm just an ordinary guy, I can't even open my Bible. All right, Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 1. He called the 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to throw them out and to heal every disease and every sickness. A few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus, talking to the disciples after he had been resurrected from the dead, how he, had, he gave them the power to forgive sins and how that was a, in a, something that only God could do before that, that God had the ability to forgive sins. And he's given them this authority. And now we're reading that he gives them the authority to cast out unclean spirits and to heal every disease and every sickness. This is a lot of power. You think you would give that power to the best and the brightest, right? Well, let's look at the, the 12 disciples. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Now, Peter's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Jesus gives Simon a new name, Peter or Cephas, which literally means rock. And it's because he is the rock that Jesus is building the the foundation of his church on. But I also think he's the rock because he's kind of hard-headed and stupid sometimes. Uh, He not only is very passionate about God, but he makes all the wrong mistakes at all the wrong times and says all the wrong things. There's a great story and an example of this where Jesus is, is asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter jumps in, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yes, and, 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 and affirms Peter and says, you're the rock that I'm going to build the, the church on. And then Jesus goes on to explain his messianic mission, that he's come to die on the cross so all people can be saved. And Peter stands up and says, no, God, never. That's never going to happen. I'm never going to let that happen. And then Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know if he was calling Peter Satan or just the temptation that he would, you know, not have to die on the cross, but, it, but being called Satan is, is a pretty rough thing. And, and here's Peter, who is the leader of the apostles, the leader of the disciples. He's like the number one guy, and he's hard-headed as anybody. Andrew, his brother, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So we know that Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all fishermen. So that's a very ordinary career. And one of the things we know about this time is that they had washed out of religious training. They'd been told they had not been good enough to follow a rabbi and become rabbis themselves. And yet, these are people that Jesus goes to. He goes to people who probably couldn't read, who probably couldn't write, and had no particular skill, no particular gifts, other than just being willing to say yes to God. And he goes on, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas. Of course, Thomas is famous for doubting, right? He happened to be, I don't know, maybe he's going and getting groceries, and the rest of the disciples were in the upper room after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, and they all meet the resurrected Jesus, and then Thomas comes back, and they're like, we saw Jesus. 
And Thomas is not able to believe. And so he's called Thomas the doubter because of this one moment of doubt. He represents all of us. If you've ever had a moment of doubt, one of the 12 disciples, after hearing that Jesus had resurrected from the dead, doubted in that moment because he didn't see God. So you've ever have struggled in your faith because you didn't see God, you didn't have a, a tangible experience of God, you're just like one of the disciples. Matthew, the tax collector. Now, again, tax collectors are not like the IRS today. They're more like the mob, where they were given the, by the, the Roman emperor, the, the Roman governor and authorities, they could go, and as long as they collected the taxes that the Romans expected, they could get any amount they wanted over the top. And they had the power of the Roman Empire behind them. And that's why the Pharisees get so mad at Jesus when he's hanging out with tax collectors. These were considered the worst of the worst. And Jesus recruits one of them. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, in many versions it says Simon the Zealot. Now this is a really important detail. There, there are several different factions within the Hebrew people at the time of Jesus. They're the Pharisees. We've, we've heard about that if, if we've read scripture. And they believe the reason that they were being oppressed is because they weren't righteous or holy enough. So if you were a sinner, you were the problem. And you hear that. You see that in the scriptures, that the Pharisees are always pushing the sinners to the margin. There were the Essenes. Their, their solution to the problem was, let's go hide in the hills and get away from the Romans as best we can. And then there are the Herodians and the Sadducees who said, we need to cooperate with the Romans. That's the best solution. They're here to stay. They're, we're not getting rid of them. Let's cooperate with them. And then there were the Zealots. Now, the Zealots were really interesting. They had these little knives, these like curved blades that they could very sneakily go up to someone and just sort of stab them in the side and murder them in a crowd and then keep on going. They believed that the Romans were the problem and they should be murdered. Guess who else they also hated? Anyone who participated with the Romans. So you have a zealot who only wants to murder Romans, and you have a tax collector who is working for the Romans all at the same time in the same group of people, in this 12, group of 12 that Jesus has recruited. One article put it this way. In the community of Jesus, tax collectors and zealots come together in miraculous unity. Only God could do this. Here, tax collectors and zealots learn to appreciate each other's views, experiences, and passions. Here, they seek to do each other good, not evil. Here, they fight for each other, not against each other. Here, they humble themselves and build each other up. So Jesus intentionally chooses a tax collector and a zealot and makes them get along. These are definitely unlikely people. Let's talk about some of the other that, people that Jesus chooses in the New Testament. Paul who's called Saul, he was the one charged by the Hebrew people to go and arrest and even murder Christians. We know at the stoning of Stephen that he was there, the first Christian martyr, that Paul, Saul, was there. And on the road to Damascus, this is the person that Jesus appears to and tells him that he is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. This is a person who is an enemy of the faith God calls to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Most of the New Testament the largest portion of the New Testament is written by Paul. We are here today because Paul took the faith from the Jewish people to the he from the Hebrews to, to the Gentiles, which means everybody else. And he picked someone who hated Christianity and wanted to murder all Christians. Let's talk about women. Now, we know today that women are incredibly important. In fact, I don't think the church would survive without women. In, the, in Jesus' day, it was very different. 
women were not considered equal to men. In fact, women would have to go over to the side to be taught. The men would go over here. The women would go over there. Uh, They were not allowed to be rabbis. They were not allowed to be religious teachers. That would only the men. And yet Jesus does something incredibly radical and transformative. In his inner circle, not the 12, but in the inner circle, he recruits women to be a part of that. We know of at least three different Marys. There's a Joanna. There's a Mary and Martha. There's all these women who were intimately familiar with Jesus, that he taught, that he allowed to be his disciples, and that he recruited to be a part of that. You've ever heard the the Mary and Martha story, which is that Martha's in the kitchen cooking and Mary's hanging out with Jesus? You know, that, that's kind of taught today, like this is some sort of, Martha's the type A personality, right? She's very task-focused. She's making sure everybody has food while Mary is kind of goofing off and hanging out with Jesus. That is not why Martha is upset, not in the least. Martha is upset because Mary is in with the men. And she is, it even uses this, this phrase, she is sitting at Jesus' feet. To sit at someone's feet, to sit at a rabbi's feet is for that rabbi to take you on as a disciple. That's why Martha's upset. That's why Martha goes in there and tries to pull Mary out because Mary's in there with the men. And Jesus tells her, Mary has the better way. Women are called into ministry. I know it's complicated. There's some verses that that maybe call this into question. I'd love to talk to you about that. But we believe that women, just like men, are called into leadership and into ministry. And that's something that radical that Jesus did to recruit women. Women are the first evangelist. The woman at the well, when she goes and tells her town, She's the first one to tell someone the good news of Jesus Christ. It's women who were at the cross, even though a few of the men did stay. And it is women that show up at the empty tomb. The women are the most faithful ones in the story. And the fact that the the Bible stories tell us this, it just really shows us the importance that Jesus had for women in the story and women for the future of humanity. Women, you can be called into ministry. You can preach, teach, and lead just as well as any man. And don't let anyone else tell you any different. All right, uh, so these are a strange group of people. Jesus did not recruit who you and I would recruit. If I was going to start a movement that I wanted to change the world, I'm going to go and I'm going to get the smartest people, the best-looking people, the wealthiest people, the people with the most resources. Jesus took the most ordinary group of people and did something extraordinary. They were as unlikely as you could possibly imagine. Why do you think he did that? Why did Jesus choose the ordinary? I think the first thing is that they were willing. They were willing to say yes. They were so amazed that Jesus would call them, that Jesus would say, you are going to come and you're going to be a part of this beautiful community that I'm creating, that they were willing and they were able to say yes. Here's what Jesus tells the disciples in verse 16 when they're about to go out on their mission. He says, look, I'm sending you a sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be wise as snakes, innocent as doves. Watch out for people because they will hand you over to councils and they will beat you in their synagogues. They will haul you in front of governors and even kings because of me, that, that you may give your testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Whenever they hand you over, don't worry about how to speak or what you will say because what you will say will be given to you in that moment. You aren't doing the the talking, but the Spirit of my Father is doing the talking through you. Brothers and sisters will hand each other over to be executed. A father will turn in his child. Children will defy their parents and have them executed. Everyone will hate you on account of my name, but whoever stands firm at the end will be saved. So Jesus wasn't calling these people to some cushy job. 
They were going to radically transform the landscape of the Hebrew people. And they were going to radically transform the landscape of the Roman Empire. And they were going to be fought every step of the way. They were going to face opposition. One of my good friends, Steve Bukley, is, in, is here. He's a, a missionary. I think y'all are going to Vietnam, right? And uh, one of the things that I've learned from, from him is that if you aren't called to something difficult as a Christian, then maybe you aren't doing your faith right. If it isn't a little bit scary, if it isn't a little bit difficult, then maybe you need to step outside of your comfort zone. Because what Jesus calls us to is difficult. It's hard. He says the, the pathway is narrow. It's not an easy thing. Now, grace is for all, and all we have to do is say yes, and that is wonderful, but to follow Jesus is incredibly difficult. And when he sends his disciples out, he tells them, your family isn't going to like you. The officials aren't going to like you. In fact, of the disciples, we know only one would die of a normal death. The rest would be executed for their faith. So they had to be willing. Jesus chose people who would say yes to God. The second thing is that he needed them to rely on God. Did you catch that part where it talked about that when you go to defend your faith, it will not be you speaking, but the Holy Spirit? Because what he was asking them to do was so difficult. He needed people who would rely on God and not their own wisdom and their own knowledge and their own understanding. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this. Look at your situation when, where you were called, brothers and sisters. By ordinary human standards, not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many were the upper class, but God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong, and God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human can brag in God's presence. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. He became wisdom from God for us. This means that he made us righteous and holy, and he delivered us. This is consistent with what is written, the one who brags should brag in the Lord. We have to rely on God because what God calls us to do is extraordinary, and we don't personally have the ability to do it. We have to be full of the Spirit. We have to seek the Spirit in our life and be empowered by God. Do you think that those disciples, when they were standing up and preaching the good news and, and facing death, that they were able to do that on their own ability? It was only because they trusted in God. The third thing, I think the, Jesus picks the people that he picks because they would need each other. We're told that their own families would reject them. We even see this in the Gospels where Jesus' Jesus's family gives him a hard time about his ministry. Jesus knew that the people that he was calling would be rejected. And in many ways, what Jesus was doing was creating a new family of people who'd be willing to step alongside one another, to connect with one another, to love one another, to be family for one another. And so these are the things that we need if we are going to be ordinary people called to do extraordinary things. First, we have to be willing. It's so important just to say, God, I don't think I can do this on my own, but I'm willing to take that first step. I'm willing to say yes to whatever you're going to call me. As soon as we walk out these buildings, you're going to call me to something, God, I'm willing to say yes. I'm willing to say yes to you. The Guardians of the Galaxy were just a, a random group of people, nothing that extraordinary about them, but they were willing to say yes when they were needed. The second thing is we have to rely on God. What God is going to call you to do, you cannot do on your own. What God is going to call you to do, you cannot do on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit 
to be with you and to guide you. Don't miss that resource. Don't miss out on that opportunity to let God speak through you and in you to other people. And that's why your relationship with God needs work. I don't just mean that individually like you need work, but we all need work. We all need to work on our connection to God. We all need to devote ourselves to daily prayer and praise so that we can have that pipeline to God and we can be connected and we feel like we are part of what God is doing in this world. And the third thing is we need each other. This is so vital, church, and I know I talk about it all the time, but we desperately need one another. We cannot do this alone. One of the greatest gifts of the church is the church, is that when you are struggling, when you're going through a valley, that you have friends and family in this community that can build you up, that can step alongside you. In the movie, I'm not going to show the clip, but it's a really great clip. The ship is going down that they're all in, and the one who is Groot, he's the tree, um, starts to sacrifice themselves. He creates a protective barrier out of his body, and he, he knows he's going to die doing this. And the raccoon rocket says to him, you know, Groot, what are you, why are you doing this? And the whole movie, all he has said is, I am Groot. I am Groot. And he says, we are Groot. Why does he sacrifice himself? Because those were his family. Those are the people that he loved. Those are the people that knew had his back, the people who would die for him, and he was willing to die for them. And that's what we need to be for one another. I'm really excited. Uh, Charles Quinn and I, mainly Charles, he's been doing all the hard work, we have started to develop a congregational care team because we don't want anyone to fall through the cracks. And so we're going to have a group of people that are trained that are going to be able to come alongside you when you're struggling, that when you're in the hospital, they can show up, that will help you know, develop... Um, Make sure people have meals and have their stuff taken care of that will counsel you when you're struggling. And so if you want to be one of those people who takes care of others in the church, come talk to me or talk to Charles after the service. Can you wave, Charles, so people know who you are? Yeah. Um, so that we can be that for one another because we need that. We, if we are going to be the church and we're going to do these extraordinary things that God is going to call us to do, we need to be able to take care of one another. And the last thing, uh, or that, yeah. I love that line that uh, Peter Quill says, and he says, we are losers. You know, if you're in the church, church, we've all lost. We've all lost someone. We've all been hurt. We've all had a, someone in our family who's been sick. We need one another, and we need to bond together to do the work that God has for us. And so I want to show you one more clip before we wrap up today.
hold it by themselves. But together, when they came together as a team, they were power enough to defeat the enemy. That's what we need, folks. We have to be people who are willing to say yes to Jesus. We have to be willing to trust and rely on God's power. And when we need to, we need to be able to come together. And then God will do extraordinary things through us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. At this time of the service, we come together for Christ's meal. And Christ invites us.